Do you feel stuck in your life, career, or business? And are you ready to take things to the next level? If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is David Trotter, and I'm a transformation coach passionate about helping people just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals. My superpower is helping people experience tremendous breakthroughs in a short period of time. If you give me 12 weeks, I'll help you launch that new project, go after that better job, or overcome that challenge in your business. To find out how I can help you, head on over to insporising.com slash coach. That's insporising.com slash coach. People are all about sharing their experiences and sharing their stories and toys allow you to do that with this element of like fantasy intertwined into it. So for me as a kid, I know the storytelling part of my toys was like very important. I always had to have a, a tale. Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter and I'm a business growth consultant. I'm passionate about helping business owners just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals, all without the paralyzing overwhelm, feeling all alone, or wondering what the heck to do next. I'm a former pastor and a serial entrepreneur who's passionate about personal growth because that's what's helped me cultivate peace in my life and empowered me to love my amazing wife, Laura, of 26 years and our two almost grown kids. So if you're all about business, personal growth, and peace in your life, you're in the right place. I'm super glad that you're here. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Inspiration Rising. It is great to have you with me. Hey, I know a number of you are looking to start a new business, and if that's you, you may want to think about returning to the creativity of your childhood to come up with some ideas. Not sure if you know this, but the toy business in the United States alone is a $27 billion industry. And with access to so many resources online and around the globe in terms of manufacturing and a workforce, it is simpler than ever to develop an idea, have it manufactured, and take it directly to consumers. Now, when I say simple, I don't exactly mean quick or easy, all right? It is challenging, but we have access to so many different resources, and that's why I'm excited today to introduce you to the wisdom of Agel Wade. Now, even if you're not starting a toy business, there is plenty to learn from Agel, and you simultaneously get a sneak peek into how toys are made. Agel is the president of The Toy Coach, host of the Making It in the Toy Industry podcast, and through her Toy Creators Academy, she creates online resources to help educate inventors and entrepreneurs about the toy business. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Agel Wade. Well, Agel, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I want to hear how you got into the toy industry. We were just talking beforehand. I had some background in the toy industry. A lot of people don't know that. And it's a lot of, I think, middle-aged white guys uh, that <laughs> like are the power brokers behind Barbie and you know all those you know wonderful toys. Um, tell me, how did you get into the toy industry? I want to hear the story. Yeah. So I, you know, I always knew I was going to work with kids. I thought I went from wanting to be like a teacher to a child psychologist 
And then eventually I was actually doing children's exhibition design when I heard of. What is that? I don't even know what that is. (laughs) The children's exhibition design. So I was actually majoring in museum exhibitions and like window displays. So I was focused on, I thought I was going to graduate and I was going to go work at like a children's museum, like the hall of science. And I was doing all of these exhibition designs for stuff like that. So that was also a lot of fun because it was almost like designing giant play, like toy, you know, experiences. Interactive experiences. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And then while I was doing that, one of my professors at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York told me that there was a toy program. And I was like, look, I'm trying to make a real living here. Like, I don't want to hear about your your toy world. But he told me, he's like, no, there is real money in this industry. Like, this is a serious business. Yeah. And I'm like, no way. So I looked into it and I met the head of uh, the toy design program at FIT. And that the rest was history. She saw something in me and she wanted me to try out for her program. And I got in and I just busted my butt all the way through the two-year program. And eventually I started working at a toy company called Horizon Group USA. Okay. Yeah. And what did you do there? So they wanted to start like a blue sky development team. So I got to have the best job in the world, which was just come up with new ideas to compete with people that we want to take down. So (laughs) I got to do a lot of market research. And then when I had gathered all the data I needed, I would come up with ideas that could compete with the, our competitors or fill gaps in the marketplace. And it was at that company that I got my three patents actually. Wow. Okay. And uh, what about the shift to becoming the toy coach? Like somebody that kind of comes alongside people. At what point did you say, okay, I've had enough experience or I've enjoyed my time in the toy companies. Now I want right. to help people that are getting a, you know into it. It started, it actually started when I went. Um, so my boyfriend's actually in the toy industry also. So it started when I went to an award ceremony with him And he was winning. He won this award for like best game designer of the year. It was awesome. And we sat next to a woman who was an inventor. And she started talking to me about her idea. And when she heard that I was a VP at a toy company, she was like really trying to talk to me about her idea, but she didn't know what to say. And I was open and I always am open to new ideas and inventor projects, but she didn't know what I needed to hear. So I was kind of trying to pull the right information out of her. And then I remember just realizing that she just hadn't really done the legwork and she didn't know what to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I just went from home from that show thinking, you know, I, I wish I could help her. And I was like, I have a full-time job though. I can't help just her. And like a little bit over time, like as I was listening to other podcasts and thinking, the idea kind of came to me, like maybe I should just make a podcast and talk about all this stuff because it will help. I mean, honestly, at the time I was thinking it will help me as a a VP in the toy industry if inventors and entrepreneurs know what we want to hear so that we don't have to, I don't have to have this conversation over and over again, right? Yeah, yeah. So it started off as this podcast and then eventually I just, you know, I I loved how much I was learning and how many people I was meeting by doing this podcast. And it just got to a point where I loved my full-time job and the team I put together there, they were amazing. And I loved helping them and helping them grow. But the focus of my job wasn't just to help them grow. It Mm -hmm. was to make toys, make money and push product, right? 
And I saw the podcast as an opportunity to just help people grow. So I was like, maybe I can turn this into something full time. And Corona hit, and I was like, now this is the time to leave my job, obviously. So that, wow. <laughs> that's what I did. Wow. Yeah. So you just <laughs> recently made this transition to yeah. being a full time toy coach. It was July, like July 3rd, I think. Okay, of 2020. Yeah. Yes, just of 2020. Yes, yeah, this yes. just happened. Okay, this is amazing. It is. Now, um, the toy, uh, or the podcast, I should say, just so people, and we'll link to it in the show notes, of course, okay, is called great. Making It in the Toy Industry. And you interview primarily toy inventors and entrepreneurs, I assume. Yes. I, you know, when I first started, actually, I told my boyfriend, I was like, no, this is going to be no interviews on this podcast. I was like, that's such a cop out, you know? (laughs) And, um, as I, so I was doing a lot of like solo episodes and I wasn't getting as much traction at first. Um, and then I started doing some interviews and that's when people really started finding out about it. And then they were able to enjoy the solo episodes. So I started to realize, um, I just want, I have to be very strategic about the type of interviews I have because I don't Mm -hmm. want it to just be useless information. Um, but I definitely went against that first thought where I thought I was never going to have interviews. And now I have interviews all the time with inventors, with like licensors, with licensees, like anyone that can give information to help advise and inspire inventors and entrepreneurs. I'm like, come on my show. And I make sure that they come on the show with the mindset of what are we going to teach today? Like what, yeah. what's the big takeaway? What's the value? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about the toy industry for just a moment and the idea of inventing and coming up with products, because I've got to assume that if you've jumped on a plane and sitting next to somebody, you're hearing about some random idea all the time from people. Yeah. Am I right? Do you get yes. pitched a lot? Yeah. Just 100%. like, oh, well, I got this idea and a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And so, emails, random emails. <laughs> really? Just random emails. Random. Yeah. If they had my phone number, I bet they'd text it. Like it's, it's, it's like a random. drawing on a napkin or something. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So what is it about the toy industry that that's so intriguing, so fascinating for people? Why do you think people want to get into it? Yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it's three things. I think one, it's nostalgia. Uh, I think initially when you just hear the word toy or you look at a toy, it brings you right back to your childhood. And maybe you had a difficult childhood or whatever, but one thing that's true for most of our childhoods is it's a time where you had little to no responsibility, or at least the least amount of responsibility that you've ever had in your life. Sure. Right? It was only time where your only job was to explore and like time was just limitless. It was not an option. You had all the time in the world. So I think that um, people see the word toy and that's, that's the feeling that kind of rushes back to them. Yeah. And aside, right? You think so too? Oh, of course. Yeah. And aside from that, I just think it's um, also just the storytelling aspect of it. Like toys, especially today, there's like always a story around them and people like right now, you know, we're having a podcast. People are all about sharing their experiences and sharing their stories and toys allow you to do that with this element of like fantasy intertwined into it. So how are Barbie and Ken interacting or how are my Polly Pockets playing today? And for me as a kid, I know the storytelling part of my toys was like very important. I always had to have a, a tale <laughs> unfold. Wow, okay. And I think that's even true today. I think that's very true today. And the third thing I would just say is 
is honestly, it's just visual appeal. Uh, and you can see that a lot in designer toys. So there's like this whole, whole other category of designer toys, high-end toys where you're buying like a $600 figure from uh, a person that you follow very deeply, an artist. They're mm-hmm. like real artists that are designing these toys. And I know from my friends that collect toys like those, it's just about the quality and like the design and mm-hmm. the colors and, and just the style of the product. And we toy people like me display toys all over their house. Like I have a room where there's just like toys displayed on the shelves. And that's just, I mean, we enjoy looking at them. So I think that's also what pulls people into the toy industry. Yeah. So fascinating. My son, he's 17 and he's kind of into the punk scene here in Southern California. Okay. And he has recently started, he's got tons of artwork on the walls that he and other people, you know, share back and forth from Instagram, but he's recently started buying tons of old toys from Goodwill Salvation Army, and he'll switch the heads and parts and create different characters out of these different, you know, things. He's got like hundreds of just toys on his shelf with all these different weird heads. And, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. No, that's happening now. That is a trend going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he'll get a whole bag for a dollar and feel like, oh, I just scored, you know? That's so funny. That's so cool. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Me just, ideas. Yeah, just all kinds of, and that is an idea for different yeah. toys, you know, switching the heads. I'm sure different toys have those already. There, but. There's a plush line. I think it's Animoodles that does that, but okay. not a plastic figure line. So Yeah, well, and also <laughs> some that are a little bit more on the weird, you know, side, I think yes. a- attract that a little alternative audience. Um, Okay. So let's say that I have an idea, you know, I've got this thing that's been, you know, swirling around in my brain. I've always said to people, Oh, if I could just have the time to do it, what are some of the, the challenges that toy entrepreneurs and inventors face that maybe I don't even realize heading into something like this? Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually literally just covered this in my podcast, so it's fresh in my brain. <laughs> so that's great. Um, so with toy inventors, what you're going to face is just a long stream of rejection. Honestly, I would liken it to trying to become an actor or an actress. <laughs> it, I mean, you, you're really, let's, you have to think that 5% of ideas that toy companies see, they're going to pick up and they see hundreds of ideas that seems or at even least high. Yeah. I, yeah. No, well, I mean, pick up for the next phase. That sure. doesn't mean it makes it to production. Okay. That okay. might mean that somebody has a second conversation with you. Right. Mm-hmm. So toy inventors just have to struggle with rejection and, and not letting that dim their light and their passion for their product because they need that passion to sell it. Um, but also they have to deal with the fact that they have to invest in these products more fully before they know if anyone's going to buy it. So they have to make functioning prototypes that they can sell with mm-hmm. if they want to sell it at all for a licensing fee. Um, so that's the biggest struggle with being an inventor, trying to balance that. And most inventors, when they first start out, they just do this on the side of their nine to five jobs so that they mm-hmm. can you know, do the balance until eventually they figure out how many ideas they have to come up with per month to land how many deals. And then you can kind of maybe Mm -hmm. step back from your full-time job if that's what you choose to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, With toy entrepreneurs, it's a different world. I mean, you're taking on a ton more risk, financial risk, 
Um, but again, you, you have the opportunity for a lot more reward and your biggest struggle as a toy entrepreneur is just going to be finding that initial funding to develop your product. Um, luckily you, today there you, are things like, yeah, real quick. Can you differentiate between inventor and entrepreneur? Yes. Cause you're definitely tackling that in two different ways. I do. Yeah. I separate them. So a toy inventor, very simply put a toy inventor is someone who sells an idea and a toy entrepreneur is someone who sells a product. So that's the differentiator between the two. So if you're a toy entrepreneur, your struggle is going to be funding the first run of development for that product, funding the marketing, you know, funding the, the advertising campaigns and the branding and all that stuff, the design of it. And all of that's on you. Unless you partner with someone, all of that is on you. And that's the biggest struggle for a toy entrepreneur. What can happen is you can easily get distracted because you're responsible for doing everything. Um, and honestly, that's part of the reason why I was building the site and everything that I'm building right now to help people stay on track with all of that. Cause it can get very overwhelming. Uh, but one of the things I just tell people is stick to your strengths, hire out where you can. You have no idea how much you're holding yourself and your business back when you don't bring in experts when it's time to bring in experts, you know? Okay. So, uh, Inventor, I'm just coming up with an idea and then I'm yes. trying to just shop that around to any toy company that would possibly pick up on the idea uh, and run with it. Then with mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, I'm thinking I may, it may be my idea or it may not. It could be somebody else's idea, yeah. but then I'm, I'm manufacturing, I'm figuring out how to manufacture it and sell. And that's probably a direct to consumer business. Am I right? Not wholly. Usually it starts direct to consumer just so that people can refine their concepts and you might change the product based on what your customers are saying. But everyone's ideal goal, most people anyway, their ideal goal is to get a wholesale order so that they have a larger profit all at once. Mm -hmm. And so you might be, yes, selling direct to consumer online, but then you might be selling wholesale to Target or Amazon. And then if you are a toy entrepreneur that can build your toy brand up into a valuable IP, you can also have the opportunity to be a licensor of your own, of your own IP. Mm-hmm. Okay. So somebody, I'm trying to interpret here. So sure, somebody, go ahead. Somebody, no, 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 it's all good. So somebody would come along and say, like, let's just, we'll take an example. Uh, 11 years ago, I started a business called Cosbots, K-A-U-Z-B-O-T-S. And they were plush toy robots, a little stuffed animal Mm -hmm. that had a cause connected to each one of these robots. We had a manufactured in China, brought in, and then we started selling them to boutiques around the nation. And they were sold, um, of course, direct to consumer online, but primarily to boutiques. The, The licensing idea, which would have been, all right, that we get this so popular that then somebody wants to make it into... Um, bed sheets or towels or hats or shirts or Mm -hmm. even a cartoon or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. That's the, that seems like ultimately where the big money comes in is when that happens. Is that right? Well, when you're a toy entrepreneur, the money is coming from every which angle, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the money uh, from licensing is a lot more lucrative because you don't have to put anything up front to, to make that happen. Somebody Mm -hmm. else is taking on the manufacturing costs and likely there's a buyback agreement where if they don't sell X number, you know, you'll have to buy back. So, I mean, yes, licensing is definitely the most profitable route to go. Okay. So um, for people that maybe 
have not gotten into this industry, but yet they remember in their childhood going to a toy store, which doesn't mm-hmm. even exist anymore. You know, I mean, I guess really there's only Walmart, yeah. Target, and mm-hmm. there yeah. are some Kmarts around, uh, a few. Uh, I mean, that's right. about it, I guess. Um, I mean, Five Below, CVS sells toys. Okay. I mean, a lot of dollar, general, family dollar, big lots. They all now do. They all sell toys, actually. That's true. That's true. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So now, um, if I've got this toy, whether I, and I'm probably an entrepreneur and I'm wanting mm-hmm. to get it out there, the big dog, Target, Walmart, you know, or Amazon or, you know, where do I go? Which one is, which, where would the direction should I go if I'm trying to sell to one of these companies? I think it would depend on your product. If your product is more expensive and higher end, I would go more specialty route. And there are organizations that you can join within the toy industry that focus on getting you connected with special specialty toy buyers and specialty toy buyers are a lot easier to find just because you can literally go into a store and ask, Hey, who owns the store? And are you interested in buying my product? Right? So if you have a specialty toy, that's higher end, you know, higher quality, I would go specialty first. Mm -hmm. And then if you can prove yourself in specialty, it'll be a lot easier to sell into like target and Walmart and things like that. You're saying specialty. I would probably say that as like a little boutique shop. Is that yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this boutique a kind of a shop, specialty, yeah. Mom and pop, one off uh-huh. kind exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, if you have a more a toy that's more of a mass market appeal, maybe it's a it's a more of a value product, maybe more of a value activity. So it's not like that unique or or different. Um, then you want to go to the big trade shows. I mean, that would be your next stop. And ideally you want to go there first just to look, just to meet people, make connections with salespeople, try to meet buyers if you can, but that's going to be a huge challenge in your first run. But salespeople and sales agents and toy agents will be your first foot in the door. You don't have to work with them forever, but if when you're just getting started, it's a great way to start connecting with buyers and putting your products in front of buyers. But you can also go kind of a backdoor way if you have like valuable enough IP. So it really depends on what your toy invention is, but if it's something really unique that's maybe patentable, you could try to contact manufacturers directly And then you're going the licensing route, but the value of going that licensing route is they already have connections with the buyers that you want to have connections to. Mm -hmm. So maybe right away, it won't be like, oh, here's the email for the buyer at like Target. That's not going to happen. But over time, if your product is successful, the buyer is just going to know who you are and you're going to start to get to know who they are and you'll be building a network that way. Mm-hmm. And how you find those manufacturers is really simply just go to toy stores and look on the back of boxes and find their information and type it into Google and do some sleuthing. So, sure, sure. Now, yeah. as somebody, I've been to the toy show, I think two or three times. And uh-huh. for people who have not been, it is a ginormous yeah. like floor of just all these different companies. And the big companies have the bigger spaces, of course. And then there's little mom and pops who have 10 by 10s. And the goal of that show is primarily for uh, people to come and place wholesale orders. That's Mm -hmm. the primary vision of that event. 
Um, but I'll tell you, man, you got to go. If you're into the toys and toy industry, you got to go to that toy. Of, it's yeah. in New York. It's in what, January usually? Yeah, it's normally in Jan- oh, February. Yeah. Sorry, February. February, February. Yeah. But probably not going to happen in 2021. Not gonna yeah. Happen. yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, but I would strongly encourage you to go to that show because yeah. we schlepped our toys and all that stuff through the snow, all the, you know, you know, a couple of years. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty fun. But uh, it's an incredible event. Absolutely incredible. It okay, is. so um, so you've kind of given us an idea of how to move toward, you know, creating a company and creating our product. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about um, outsourcing in China, manufacturing, primarily okay. in China, of course. Um, when we started our company, I had a gentleman on the team who he was manufacturing Halloween costumes already in China. So we had the facility that would just make the robots for us. I went to China. What an experience, gel! Oh my goodness. That was crazy. <laughs> Have you ever been to China to manufacturing facility? Yeah, okay. yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I went to, um, uh, the Thomas, the train factory before it oh, was nice. moved there and saw all the wooden trains being, and that really opened my eyes to seeing one of those little wooden trains and a woman sitting there and yes. green printing the little line, like one little line on the side of the train. And she pulls it down and there's a little screen printing thing that's like five inches by five inches. And, you know, we, yeah. we, we say to people, oh, this item is handmade. Like yeah. something that's, you know, like really high end. And I'm like, no, no, no. That Thomas the Train little thing. <laughs> That's handmade. That's a I handmade know, train. I, I know. It's I know. um. It's obviously there are machines involved, but yeah, yeah, yeah. People touch everything. The shirt yeah. that I'm wearing, yes. people touched it to make it. It is a handmade shirt. Of course, there were a million of them. You know, made at the same time. Blah blah blah. <laughs> China and other places. Yeah. How would I ever go about having something made overseas that seems so scary, so daunting? That that is a huge part of what I help people with. But um, you can start. I know people don't love this site because it's like overwhelming, but you can start with Alibaba. You really can. It's a beginning start, but you can start there. It's just important that you vet the people that you're talking to. You want to make sure that they're reliable, that they're certified, that they're responsive. They're not going to just like leave you out to drive when you, after two weeks and you've asked them a question and they haven't responded. Um, And you just want to make sure that they're detail oriented. So if they take your product and they say, yeah, we're going to production, that it's not going to come out a completely different color or missing all of the screen prints that it's supposed to have. So um, I, what I just focus on is asking the right questions when you first reach out to um, a manufacturer. So when you go on alibaba.com, if you don't know how to use it, I think it was like episode four of my podcast that I talked about in detail, like how to use it, but it's like a 40 minute episode. It's very in depth. But um, if you don't know uh, what, if you don't know what you're doing, you have to have a list beforehand. So you want to go to these people and you're not saying like, Hey, I have an idea. Here's a picture of it. Can you make it? Because of course they're going to say yes, because they want the business. They want your money. Of course they're going to say yes. That is not the first question that you ask. You ask, do you have experience in this category of a product? And then you ask them what experience they have. And then there is actually a whole list of questions after those two questions, after they answer those questions, you have to ask them a whole list of questions. You want to know about their MOQ. You want to know about their certifications. Oh, and I should say, 
MOQ is a minimum order quantity. I know I always like rush through that. Um, you want to ask them about the certifications that they already have, because if they don't have a specific certification, you're going to have to pay for that. Um, you want to ask them, sometimes they'll tell you people that they've already worked with in the past. You can ask for that information, the ports that they ship from good information for you to have. So you should prepare a list of questions before reaching out to these factories so that when they respond to you, you don't get all like excited and just like ready to go that you just kind of say, oh yeah, here's the idea. And like, let's start tomorrow. Like, no, you have to be really strategic with the partners that you pick. And there are actually a lot of services um, where you can get someone on the ground in China to kind of be your liaison there. And they're not too expensive. I would say about 150 to 250 per man a day. Um, to, but then they're going in and they're checking specific things. You have to give them, uh, maybe they're checking your production quality. Maybe they're checking the factory to see if they're everything they say they are. But um, I would checking, do that. Checking to see if there are small children working there on your it, product. It, exactly. I didn't want to say, but yeah. I mean, pretty <laughs> much. They want to check to make sure it's safe and it's sanitary and like there aren't, yeah, breaking any labor laws. So <laughs> it's, yeah. That's what it is. I will tell you that when we went to, it was a small company um, that was doing the manufacturing of my partner's Halloween costumes and um, and our robots. It, you know, the people seemed to be treated fine. We were connecting, all this. But they had on-site living, right? They mm-hmm. lived on-site, which I believe is very common. In, yeah, in these yeah, places yeah. where, cause there might be coming from outside of villages, you know, from distances and they're living on site in bunk beds, you know, oh, in yeah. different categories and it all, you know, but it's like normal there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it opened my eyes to go, yeah. wow, we take so many things for granted and yes. that I'm wearing a shirt that was made by a woman or man that was probably sleeping in bunk beds and moved Ugh. from some village. And although that might not be um, uh, harsh conditions, that would be yeah. okay, normal conditions, especially if they're paid a you know wage or whatever, and that they would be thankful for that job. Some people, of course, are not, and it's a bad situation. I get that. I understand yeah. that. But yeah. even in the best situations, even in the best situations, these individuals live a life that is far far from what we live. Yeah. And yeah. just being aware of that and opening mm-hmm. my eyes and seeing it personally, it's like, wow, yeah. the kids that are going to play with this $30 stuffed animal have no idea. Of how I know. It, you know. It's a, it's really fascinating. Yeah. The, the last time I went there, um, I was in China for, I think two weeks or I don't know, maybe 15, 16 days. And I went to a lot of small cities, like a lot of where the factories are, a lot of small cities. And it was like every day, a new small city. And it was just getting just more and more like, I don't know, it's like rough, you know, (laughs) as we were going, it was just less and less niceties. I was going deeper and deeper, I think, into the country. So uh, I remember I just wanted to get home. And I remember feeling what you're kind of talking about, just almost guilty, like really just kind of a guilt of, I can't believe like I'm here and I'm pressuring you about the color of this bead. (laughs) (laughs) Get the color right. It's not pink enough. And I, you know, 
like how much does this really matter? Is it, it's so, it's really hard. And for me, yeah, for me, what, I mean, like there's only so much you can do. People in America are only going to, they're only going to pay $30 for a toy if that's what they're used to paying. But it definitely kind of solidified my belief in my other business. So I had about, I don't even know how many years ago, seven years ago, I'd started a costume company that's called Costumize Me. And it's kind of on hold right now while I do these other things, but it was always a made in USA business. And everybody was like, you're insane. You can make so much more money if you just make it in China. And I was just like, no. And I remember this trip to China. I remember thinking like, no, it has to stay a USA made business. Like it's fine if I love making toys and those have to come in cheap for kids and their parents to be able to afford them. But if I can create a business that doesn't have to rely on China and can start to change the minds of Americans to like what we should be paying mm-hmm. to get value and to make sure that our money is is helping someone live a better, like a life that is on par with our own. I just felt like, I don't know, I felt a, a renewed sense of, I don't know, pride in that USA mm-hmm. mo- made model. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should stop making things in China, but I do feel like we should try to strike a balance whenever we can. Like there are some things you can make in USA. There's a whole toy company. I think it's called like America's plastic toy company or something. And they're mm. all made in USA. So I, I know I do feel, I did definitely feel that sense of guilt and I would love to shift more businesses to a made in America model. Honestly, it'd be better for the environment too. So we should really think about that. That's for sure. Yeah. One last question. I want to ask you about um, something that I personally have not experienced is, um, I don't even know the right words, but like that toys are made for different genders and mm-hmm. ethnicities. Um, oh, oh and yeah. Okay. Meaning like, of course, yeah, there are a lot of dolls that are now coming out that can look like the child who's wanting to play with that doll. But at the same time, you know, uh, and I, I know a lot of these things have kind of shifted over time, but my guess is like, is that still an issue? You know what I mean? With people feeling like this toy doesn't represent my life or it doesn't kind of connect with me or am I making that up? No, I think there definitely is an issue right now in the toy industry. There is a huge um, movement for, uh, reducing like the racial bias and increasing diversity. And I don't think it's so much that kids feel like they have to identify with a specific toy, but I think it's that parents and buyers are starting to realize how important it is that the whole toy aisle, that the whole toy store as a whole represents all diversities. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So that there's, mm-hmm. there are options on the yeah. table. Of Just what so that when could. a kid goes, when I go to the toy store as a kid, I don't like look up and feel like I don't belong or mm-hmm. like I'm out of place mm-hmm. that I could at least identify with some kid, even if that's on a package of a toy that I'm not going to buy. Just yeah. that I can, I see it's there. Sure. Sure. And yourself as an African-American woman in this toy industry, mm-hmm. you've obviously been in it, in it a while. Uh, how, how, did, how did that play out for you? Like, did you go, here I am, Michelle Wade. Woo-hoo! Yeah. I'm, I'm making toys. Let's do this. Right. You know, or is it kind of like, who is this person that's showing up on this? You know what I mean? Like, was that a, your experience? Yeah. Help me understand so, that. When I first started the toy coach, I did not put my face anywhere because I was terrified that people would see it and they wouldn't take it seriously because it was a young black woman. Yeah. And 
it's so funny because I think I was right because it found out that I started to get a bunch of followers when I first started the toy coach and those followers ended up being coworkers of my boyfriend. And one day I posted a picture of myself and then his coworker texted him and he's, they were like, your girlfriend's the toy coach. And they were like, I had no idea. I just thought it was like a, a really good industry publication. Wow. Yeah. So, and you can't tell from my voice, like what race I am. So there, I think, I mean, I think there is bias and I think, you know, sometimes I wonder like, should I have hidden myself for a little bit longer? But mm. at the same time, it's, I think it's really empowering for other black women to see a black woman making waves in the industry. Mm-hmm. And now I have this platform where I'm like calling out my past experiences with racial diversity. So that's great. And I, I just feel really lucky to be able to do that. And I hope that people, because uh, like white people in the toy industry are amplifying my voice. So I appreciate that. And I hope that they keep doing that for me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So the toy coach, what an incredible URL and name. <laughs> I mean, that is really good. Did that like flow out of your brain just like really quick or was it like a long list? No, it was the first one because a friend of mine is called coach Brit. So then that, I always see her post. So that's how it came. Okay. Yeah. The, the You've got something coming out in the um, end of September, 2020 called the toy creators Academy. Tell yeah, us about that and how people could sign up for that. Oh, I'm so excited about toy creators Academy. So toy creators Academy is for you. If you are an inspiring um, toy inventor or toy entrepreneur, it is going to teach you my system for coming up with new toy ideas for developing them with prototypers domestically, because that's how I like to work when I first get started so I can be more hands-on, and then developing them overseas. And there's going to be a second half of that course that focuses on marketing. So I'm going to tell you how to market your toy online, and then also what trade shows you should go to, what agents you should try to reach out to, and how to find buyers and all things like that. So toycreatorsacademy.com is where you need to go to sign up for the early access list. People on that list are going to get an incredible rate because they'll be the very first founders. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited about the course. I'm nervous, but I'm very excited to share with everybody, you know, my process and how I work. And do you also work with people one-on-one or do you do it more in this group setting? Yeah. So I'm going to be doing more group, less Mm -hmm. (laughs) one-on-one because, you know, it's a hard, I, when I left um, my full-time job, the goal was that I could do less. So I love to take on -on one-on-one projects, but really just like one or two at a time, you know, I don't want to take on a ton. So what I'm going to actually offer with Toy Creators Academy is a thing called toy support, which will be kind of one-on-one in a group setting. So it'll be me and the whole group. Hopefully I can lead and give most of the feedback, design feedback, you know, pricing feedback, construction feedback, but then everyone can help each other at the same time. So that's going to be great and exciting to launch as well. I love it. Okay. Yeah. You got to check out the website uh, thetoycoach.com. And if you're interested in toys in any way, be sure to check out the podcast, which is making it in the toy industry. All of those links will be in the show notes. You can swipe up on your phone now and click those links. Thank you, David. Uh, (laughs) This is awesome. I'm so happy for you that you're doing this and that like, you know, you're turning COVID chaos into toy coach magic. Magic. There you go. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes, congratulations. Thank you. It's been a wild ride. I hope it keeps on going. Hey, congrats on listening to another episode of Inspiration Rising. Why congrats? Because you're pouring education and inspiration into your mind and heart. And that's something we all need if we're going to grow our businesses and reach our goals in life. Now, if you enjoy Inspiration Rising, do us a favor, share it with a friend, take a screenshot of your favorite episode and text it to them. Tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on their favorite podcast app and click subscribe. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for Inspo Text. That's our daily inspirational text messages. Just text me right now at 949-401-6090. That's 949-401-6090. Just say, hey, Dave, what's up? You'll get an automated reply with a link where you can add yourself as a contact. And of course, you can always unsubscribe. I want you to know today that you're inspired, empowered, and loved. Not because of the way you feel or what anyone else says about you, but because that's your true identity.